Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's podcast. As always, Marina and I want to give a quick disclaimer. Neither Marina nor myself are professional ecologists, biologists, or zoologists. We simply have a passion for wildlife and for wolves, and we have gained a lot of knowledge while working here at the Halliburton Forest Wolf Center. The subject of wolves is a very highly contested issue, and we do not speculate to have all of the correct answers. We simply want to share with you guys all the things that we have learned from books, from research articles, documentaries, and from wildlife researchers themselves. That being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Let's do it. Welcome to episode two of the Halliburton Forest Wolf Center podcast series. Um, in case you forgot who we are, I am Marina, um, and we have Aiden here as well. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about the importance of wolves in their kind of environment, what role they play, um, and yeah, like kind of why we want wolves to stick around, and the whole <laughs> point of educating people and conserving wolves, why they're important. Hopefully this will give you a bit of a better picture of why wolves are awesome. <laughs> I guess. And we'll try and stay on, like, the uh, ecological side of things. So, yeah. like, why they're important from an ecological standpoint. For sure. Um, so, before we get into that, little kind of update on how things are going with our own wolves here. Um, they're doing really well. You know, um, they adjusted quite quickly um, to the new dynamic with Onyx being gone at this point in time. Um, they seem to all be content, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the snow. Um, they're pretty pumped because there's a deer coming their way later this afternoon <laughs> for a nice meal. So, um, but the, the 10 of them are doing very well. Um, so just a refresher on who that is. We have Luna, our alpha female. Um, we've not yet seen one of the boys step up into the role of alpha male. It's still going to be a while before we kind of expect to see that d defined. Um, but we have Pepper and Piper, our next two oldest. We then have Quinn and Quest. We have Rune and our four little puppies, Uriel, Union, Eula, and Unya. <laughs> um, make sure to check on our Facebook and Instagram if you want to see pictures of all of our lovely pack members. <laughs> when I was upstairs today, just like observing for a little bit, Union, well, they were all napping, but Union was napping and he was like, so heavy laying on the snow and his mouth was like kind of starting to like droop open i was like wow i'm so jealous of you right now i want to nap just, that hard i've always been jealous of wolves ability to nap like i say this yeah, to guests all so the time quick. when they nap they just melt into the ground and i mean they have a transportable blanket with them all the time like they just they're wearing a blanket so everything is comfortable for them um i wish i could just nap anywhere like that yeah not sure where i would use that ability but It'd be cool to have. When you just said they had a portable blanket, I imagined like Union dragging a little blanket around like oh. Charlie Brown. I was like, oh my God, imagine <laughs> they actually all had their own personal blanket. That would be very cute. I don't think they would stay intact very long. They yeah, would shred them. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, on that topic, do you have any predictions on who you think is going to step up into the alpha male role? Yeah, so... For most of Onyx's time as our alpha male, Pepper has made it quite clear that he's kind of the next underneath. And a huge part of this is that Piper doesn't seem to really care one way or the other, and Quinn is definitely the lowest ranking. So 
you know, of Pepper, Piper, and Quinn, mm, Pepper's still looking <laughs> like the best bet. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're getting close to mating season now. Um, when all those hormones really start to pump, you know, when Luna goes into heat, <laughs> that'll get the boys kind of kind of moving <laughs> a bit. Uh, and that's when we're really going to see them define who's who. Yeah. Um, that'll be the best indicator for us. So we're, ju- we're just within a few weeks of, of really having a good sense of, of who's going to be that in that role. Yeah. Coming okay. soon to be yeah, determined. Yeah, honestly, next couple weeks. <laughs> I feel like weeks. we can make a movie poster for this. Wow, it's January. <laughs> I know. So, wow, that's coming up really quick. Really, That's really only quick. in a few weeks, really. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're getting there. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let's uh, get into this topic for today. Yeah, so... Why are wolves important? <laughs> important. Why are they significant? So l- let's dive in, you know... A wolf in its environment is considered to be an apex predator. And and when we say apex predator, what that really means is kind of top of the food chain, top of the food web, depending on which definition you want to use. Um, there aren't really animals that are hunting them. They don't really have predators. Not to say other animals cannot hurt or kill wolves. Um, but they're kind of that top predator and it kind of trickles down from them. You know, what they eat eats other stuff and that stuff eats other stuff. And, it, <laughs> and on and on it goes down the line, like dominoes. Um, oh, now I want pizza. <laughs> Shouldn't Quick have said side. that. <laughs> Quick sidebar. Um, oh, side note, Marina forgot her food today and she, uh, she brought her fork. She thought she was going to forget her fork. <laughs> brought her fork with her and forgot her lunch at home. Terrible. Maybe I'll have to join the wolves in on that deer. Uh, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. I will pass on that. Though if it yeah. was like actual proper game meat, I'd be okay with that. Right, right. Um, but a roadkill deer, I think I will pass on. Yeah, we're not feeding them like freshly grilled venison. No. no. No, I don't think they'd really like cooked meat that much. They'd eat it, but they definitely prefer the fresh, raw yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. weird. No thanks. Yeah, I'd pass on that. <laughs> so anyways, wolves are wolves are apex predators. Um, so they're, they're at the top, you know? So when we talk about the importance of a wolf in its environment, you have to think about what happens if you take them away. And that's really what's going to give you an example of, of how important they are. Um, so this is where the term keystone predator then comes in, because if you remove them from their environment, there is a significant negative impact that happens. Um, one really great example of this, and and honestly, it's hard to have a conversation about wolves and their importance without at some point talking about the events that happened in Yellowstone National Park. It is such a great example of why wolves are so important and what they do, what they do in their environment to keep the balance, really. They're kind of like the gatekeepers of nature and keeping things wild. So let's talk a little bit about Yellowstone National Park and, and why that's significant. Yeah, and the the really interesting thing about the whole Yellowstone case case study, I guess if you want to call it, was that from an ecological perspective, it was so successful, but from a social perspective, it's kind of a disaster still. Yeah. Like there's there's two I guess if you want to like break it down, there's like two sides to the spectrum in terms of like your mindset or philosophy on nature in general and on wolves. Um, on like one side of the spectrum, you have people that are in the mindset of um, like nature is here for us to make a living off of. We're kind of above nature. We can use it at as we see fit. And then you have the other side of the spectrum that's 
uh, more so has the mindset that we're just another part of this whole community and that we should be striving to live in harmony with nature um, and not put ourselves above it. Um, so all of the stuff that happened in Yellowstone, you have, um, there's so many different like documentaries and articles oh, and so interviews many. and you yeah. can find endless amounts of people talking about Yellowstone National Park and the reintroduction of wolves. But it was really interesting as I was uh, diving into it all a little further, um, especially hearing from some of like the farmers and ranchers in like Montana and Idaho and all around Yellowstone. And there was one uh, gentleman in particular who was a rancher just outside of Yellowstone. <clears throat> and I wrote down a quote that he literally said in his uh, little mini interview. Oh no, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm nervous for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm not going to name the, the gentleman, but there are three kinds of terrorists. There are foreign terrorists like bin Laden. There are domestic terrorists like defenders of wildlife and earth justice. And uh, the wildlife terrorist, the Canadian wolf. Oh. Yeah. So that's really far Ooh. on the one side of the spectrum where this guy is really not thrilled with the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone because Ow. it threatens his livelihood. Wow. And he really, you know, I found going through different uh, ranchers and farmers' opinions that um, anytime they were, like, upset with the reintroduction of wolves, they don't, uh, I, I'm trying not to, like, put my opinion on it too yeah. much, but uh, they aren't worried for, like, the elk and the bison and the cattle or their livestock for, like, the intrinsic value that they have. Yeah. They're worried about it for, like, uh, if you're missing elk from the landscape or if you're missing bison or if deer are gone or cattle are gone. It's it's all a monetary value that they're missing. That's, like, yeah. they're losing that from their livelihood. So, anyways, from a social perspective, there's uh, – it's a really polarized, polarizing subject. Yeah. And there's two kind of completely different sides to the spectrum. But when you look at the ecological side of things, it's pretty clear of what the science has been saying. And yeah. it's pretty incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So so let's talk about what what did happen at Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the beginning of, of, of how this all started. I'm sure any many of you <laughs> have heard Yellowstone this, Yellowstone that. Okay. Yeah. Here's what happened. Let's figure it out. <laughs> Here's what happened. Okay. So Back in the start of the 1800s, you have westward expansion of settlers across North America. Um, with the settlers came livestock and agriculture. As you get into the late 1800s, um, you know, wolves started preying on livestock, which not to their fault, you literally just showed up to their home. Yeah, free with food. Buffets. Yeah. And expect them not to eat uh, a free, I mean, easy meal. If somebody walked into my house, with a, see, we're talking about food. Um, <laughs> they put somebody, a Domino's in front of you. Yeah, right? Don't eat it. And they're like, this is mine. Or they like just came from the pizza place and they're stopping on their way home. They bring it in, the, like leave it in the car if you don't want me to eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're bringing it inside, you better be sharing. <laughs> or don't kill me if I do eat it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Maybe figure out another don't way. Don't wave it in front of my nose. Yeah. It's like putting bacon in front of your dog. <laughs> That's mean. Exactly. So anyways, then uh, wolves started to be poisoned and killed to uh, stop them from killing these settlers' livestock. Um, fast forward to 1872, Yellowstone National Park is born, 
Uh, it's the world's first national park. It's about two million acres in size, with a lot of like mountain, beautiful wilderness area. And just for comparison, Algonquin Park is about two million acres as well. So just to give you kind of like some context on siding. Yeah. And then um, it's about the, I think it's the largest congregation or concentration of mammals in the lower 48. Wow. Which makes sense when you For sure, think about it. when there's that much untouched land, for sure. Yeah. Um, so then you get into early 1900s, so 1914 to 1926, there was a stat that I found that was 136 wolves killed in that time frame that was recorded anyways. And then by the 1930s, 1940s, getting into the mid-1900s, wolves are primarily extirpated from all of the lower 48 states. Um, if you don't know the word extirpated, it's basically like a local extinction. So yeah. the species survives everywhere else, but in that local area, it's considered extirpated. Um, 1973, we get the Endangered Species Act. Um, which basically said that if it's possible, any endangered species that have been eliminated should be restored. So then a the year later, the gray wolf was listed on the endangered species list. And then in 1975, kind of kick-started like, the work into restoring yeah. wolves back into Yellowstone. Yeah. Um, 1978, all subspecies of wolves on the federal list of endangered species um, were listed. Uh, and then it wasn't until two decades later in 1994 that the final environmental impact statement for the reintroduction of wolves was completed. Mm -hmm. And then 1995, so this is two decades later, uh, throughout 1995 and 1996, they started the reintroduction of wolves. Uh, they brought 31 wolves from Western Canada into Yellowstone. And it was kind of a, they did a mixture. I didn't look too deep into it but they did a mixture of like hard release soft release yeah um yeah some were done like kind of in like a somewhat fenced environment yeah like an acclimation pen yeah exactly and and so they <laughs> could kind of get used to the environment and the other species that were there without just immediately being amongst <laughs> them and then some of them they just put into the environment and let them figure it out um, yeah so they tried different methods to to I see think, what was going to work. And they were both fairly successful, but yeah. I think the acclimation pens were like slightly more, or yeah. they preferred them. But anyways, um, they also actually planned on doing five years of reintroductions, mm. but after 95, 96, they were like, oh, that successful was enough. totally successful enough. Interesting. Yeah. 96 was a good year, I'm telling you. The Wolf Center opened, Wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone. Aiden I mean, was born. I was born. What? In 96? Yeah. yeah. We're the same age? Yeah. Wow. We should have figured that out long <laughs> before that. We should have figured that out. All right. Well, we were both born It was a 96. great year. We're just saying 1996 <laughs> was a really good year. Yeah, that was a good one. Right. <laughs> okay. So between 1995 and 2003, so in that eight-year time frame, um, wolves actually ended up killing less livestock outside the park than what the original environmental impact statement was um, anticipating. Not to say they didn't kill any livestock um, but there's about 250 sheep and like 40 cattle but you're thinking that's around the entire uh, 2 million acres of yeah. this wilderness so and all can, the livestock around that yeah you can imagine like what the distance would be in kilometers around actually I feel like I want to search this and find out you what search that, that up and I'll I'm going to do that talking. while you keep talking <laughs> alright so then in 2005 wolf management kind of moved 
uh, from federal to state um, in Idaho and Montana. Uh, 2008 to 2017, it was kind of this weird time of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Um, the wolves were constantly going through like listing, delisting on the endangered species list. And then the management kind of switched back and forth a few times in those states between federal and state. Uh, then you get to 2017 and all wolves were delisted from the endangered species list. So that was kind of like, hooray, all the wolves are no longer on the endangered species list. And that was successful. And now we are where we are. And we've, there's been lots of research and people studying the effects that the reintroduction has had on that whole ecosystem. And now we kind of have an idea of uh, some or a good idea of what the actual implications are of reintroducing wolves back onto a landscape where they once were and were removed at one point. And from there, we can kind of start just diving into like what what happened. Did you find it? No, I gave up on the oh. map. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll do I, that later. It's, I mean, going back to the start of it too is why initially get rid of the wolves. And we kind of touched on you know, certainly there was a lot of pressure from ranchers and, and a lot of fear around losing livelihood. But there there was as well concern for elk populations and bison and all this sort of stuff and pressure that came that way. And this is not an isolated incident. There are many occasions across the years where wolves have been this, kind of the scapegoat for habitat loss caught, resulting in, you know, decreased populations of various species. Um, but th this is by far the most significant kind of reaction to to this sort of thing. It's interesting to like think back on what their mindset or science would have been because mm -hmm. at the time it would have been they wouldn't have realized how complex like ecosystems were themselves and they yeah. would have been like okay wolves eat elk they eat bison they eat deer yeah we like deer and bison and elk so if we want more of those we get Let's rid get of rid wolf. of the wolves, and then we'll just have more. Yeah, just like and then, an overly simplified model. Yeah, but then the whole idea of a trophic cascade and the idea of removing one species and seeing all of the pieces that uh, react or have a response to that afterwards, they didn't really have that idea or knowledge yeah. yet, or if they did, they were pretty... Loose with ignorant it. Ignorant and... <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, I mean, that was that was quite some time ago. <laughs> yeah, different uh, science. Science has come a long way. Yeah, for sure science has. And research has become more and more important in the creation of legislation, really. Um, a lot of research often has to be completed before legislation can be made now. So that's, I mean, that's, a, good, that's a good step. Actually, I want to touch on this now before I forget. But while I was researching all of this, do you know the author Aldo Leopold? maybe if anyone knows me anywhere I bring up Aldo Leopold probably far too often <laughs> but he's one of my favorite authors he was lived throughout like the I think it was the late 1800s early 1900s mm -hmm. um, but he was basically an environmentalist that uh, like played with a lot of like philosophical environmental ethics issues um, and he had a story it was in his book, A Sand County Almanac, which is incredible. You should read it. Everyone listening, you should read it also. But there's an essay in there. Um, it's, I think it's just called The Mountain or something about the mountain. 
but he was a forester like in his probably in his 20s and he was working out in the bush with two other young guys and it was during the time where everyone was taught wolves are bad if you see a wolf kill it because it's harmful to other animals harmful to you harmful to people in general so they were foresters they were in the forest with their guns so they grabbed their rifles and ran down to kind of like a little ridge and started shooting at the wolves and then they i think there was like three or four wolves that they saw and then they shot them ran down to confirm and then aldo leopold wrote i can't remember the direct quote but he basically was like i got down there just in time to see the i think it was the green fire burning in her eyes or going out in her eyes and it was basically later in his life he kind of like reflected on it and was kind of like why why did i do that yeah and had this uh moral dilemma of like yeah that there's no way that was right like yeah that shouldn't be what we're supposed to do yeah but anyways getting back to yellowstone and what happened after the wolves were reintroduced i'm gonna just like wrap off a bunch of stuff at what happened stop me at any point yeah, yeah. And, like chime in yeah <clears throat> okay so step one wolves reintroduced uh right away they start hunting and regulating the ungulates in the area so all the elk and the deer um which had run completely rampant like the populations yeah went booming. insane <laughs> yeah so they start wolves come in they start regulating those populations and then they started to notice a change in behavior even of all the herbivores so they started avoiding kind of like those valleys and gorges the places that you wouldn't want to be if there was wolves around that's right like the areas where the wolves would very easily find you you know exactly whereas before they were like oh no wolves no problem you can can go wherever you want you know it's like the no shirt no shoes rules you know (laughs) that rule was gone they could go wherever they wanted yeah um and then the wolves come back and they're like, ooh, we should maybe hide a little bit. Yeah, we should go not right in this middle yeah. of the valley. So it totally changed where they chose to spend the bulk of their time. Yeah, so then less deer and less elk. So all these herbivores that uh, were in these areas, they start grazing less on those areas, which basically allowed those places to start regenerating again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some places, trees grew like four times their size in wow. six years. Um, aspens and willows and cottonwoods um, they all started to return and became like established forests and once you have those established forests then birds like songbirds and migratory birds all started to return in large numbers yeah for sure now that they had the habitat right like those those trees and plants coming back is the habitat for those birds and without it they got to find somewhere yeah, else to go, exactly. right? You know, so those those ungulates eating away at all of that vegetation. You can imagine, imagine like a very bare valley. You know, normally you'd see this like beautiful green field and now you see this like barren yellow, you know, there's not much there. And, and ungulates eat tree bark as well, especially in the wintertime. So you can imagine all this, you know, vegetation that normally would look quite lush, but being, you know, stripped of its bark, all the lower branches emptied, anything green gone pretty much um, until the wolves came back to start regulating that over-browsing behavior. Yeah. And then after that, then uh, beavers even started to increase because there's more trees around. So they're able to build dams and they're able to eat. And then with more beavers, the water table starts to rise, which also helps the willows which 
provides a lot of habitat for all types exactly. of exactly yeah the beavers getting in there building those dams you know changing changing the directions that water flows in how much is where they have quite a significant impact on water rivers ponds wetlands yeah, and everything. they're providing habitat for otters and yeah. ducks and muskrats totally. and reptiles and amphibians and yep. everything <laughs> so then um then you also have the interaction between wolves and coyotes because coyotes are like a meso predator which they're not very effective at hunting big game animals yeah. but they're effective at hunting smaller mammals mm -hmm. so then wolves coming in and kind of controlling the coyote population also allows like rabbits and mice populations to start climbing back up and exactly. growing and then once you have more mice and rabbits and uh, you start to see more like hawks and weasels and badgers and owls. foxes. Yeah. And owls, yeah. So everything starts to kind of like grow and come back and their populations start to kind of recover. And then you have all the carry-on, like all of the wolf kill sites and all of that meat, and uh, which is referred to as carry-on, uh, which is left by the wolves on the landscape, provides food for all types of different scavengers, like yeah. ravens, eagles uh even bears yeah for sure i mean one of my favorite sayings that that i've always been taught is um when a wolf eats everyone eats mm -hmm. and and that's a really great example of it you know they're gonna eat as much as they can and bury bury stuff away too but if there's stuff left over somebody else gets to eat um so it's not just them that they're feeding when they when they are successful in hunting yeah and we can actually like we get a front row seat to that here like when yeah. we feed that deer later today yeah. to the wolves later like you'll see deer go out wolves start eating tear it apart spreads out across the snow snow's gonna go kind of pinky red everywhere yeah and then it'll be like one raven come in and then two ravens come in and then yeah. ravens start trying to sneak in and Mm -hmm. Grab food from some. And if else. we get some like particularly stinky stuff, you see the turkey vultures show up too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Everyone yeah. comes. Actually, this is. A, I feel like this is a good memorial for Onyx little mini one. But I always remember um, if Onyx was eating, like he'd always take the best piece and sit on it and not yes. want to share it. Totally. But the ravens, some of the wolves <laughs> like drive him nuts. Yeah, some of the wolves <laughs> don't care at all when the ravens are around. They just kind of like continue to eat. Yeah. If they get too close, they'll want them gone. Yeah, but like Onyx, once he had his piece, if a raven came near, he'd just like, like dash no. at it. <laughs> My piece! Don't hedge! Yeah. And then he'd go sit back on it again. It was hilarious. I loved it's it. pretty funny that way. Okay, so then you have the scavengers that are now able to eat eagles, ravens, bears. Yeah. Um, then going off of bears, bears have more uh, berries to eat, and they're eating the carrion left by the wolves. And then with more bears, um, that kind of helps reinforce the effects of wolves as yeah. a top predator, yep. which is a huge uh, component to all of this. Yeah, and add them adding to the to the fisheries as well, helping to control fisheries. Yeah, um, with yeah, fish populations. exactly. The bear do typically eat quite a bit of fish. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, um, which I never realized this interaction, I've never really uh, studied or looked much at pronghorn sheep, Okay. but um, coyotes feed on pronghorn sheep fawn not necessarily uh, when they're adults but when they're yeah, yeah. young when they're small or so, old yeah so they found that um pronghorn sheep started to return once wolves came back and they often were giving birth 
close or near wolf dens to avoid coyotes. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, smart play on the sheep's part. But then wouldn't the wolves just start eating them too? I mean, they could. They must have signed or a they contract. Prefer. <laughs> <laughs> they prefer. They prefer. They. I mean, they like what they know, right? They what they're good at hunting. That's what they like. You know. Yeah, I'm interested. Those actually sheep could have been kind of scary for them, especially these wolves coming from somewhere totally different, where there wouldn't have been these sheep. Eh, seeing these pronghorn sheep might have been a bit scary for them too. You know, yeah, versus something yeah. that looks like a deer or an elk that they would have already been hunting where they came from. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've never really thought about that one. Right. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of this, uh, with all of this, you basically have less herbivory on the landscape. So vegetation staying, you're allowing forests to regenerate, and when you're allowing forests to regenerate, especially in valleys and close to rivers, um, you're basically stabilizing those river banks because yeah. you're stabilizing that soil, all that soil structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have less soil erosion and then the rivers start to become more kind of solid and streamlined. Yeah. Um, Rather than just kind of like a big flat puddle. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, there's no way anyone back in the 1800s when they started shooting wolves were like, Hey, wait, what if this changed the rivers? Yeah. Right. That's not the first thing you think about. It's certainly not like it takes, you know, how many degrees of separation before you get that far down the chain. Yeah. And that's why like trophic cascades are so crazy because they're so complex. And one one thing changing or one thing being removed, especially a keystone species like wolves, really just like affects so much more than you ever. It's like a Jenga tower. You pull yeah. one piece out, out on the bottom. and it might just all fall over. I mean, one one kind of um, kind of stat that that I've kind of had in my head for for many years it was that for every you know living thing in nature, there are at least three other three hundred other species, whether it's plants, animals, whatever, that it directly interacts with. Whether that's food that it's eating, whether it's you know its predators, whether it's its prey, whether it's the plants, you know maybe it likes to chew on a particular plant who knows at least 300 other species that it will directly impact so when you think about that you start with the wolves then there's the 300 it impacts and then each of those 300 has 300 that number gets big real fast yeah really really fast so especially when you take out the one at the top who probably actually interacts with more than that 300 it's just it's just baffling how far down the chain that goes yeah, so then even the soil, like the soil's changing because you're having uh, more vegetation and you're having uh, forests becoming established and it's yeah. solidify or it's stabilizing the soil. But even from like wolf kills, the soil nitrogen and nutrients yep. that's coming into the soil from from all of that is and the variety of animal scat as well. Yeah, of, as a f- different yeah. fertilizer, f- <laughs> different fertilizers. You know, allowing different you know with different nutrients in the soil allowing again even more diversity of plants and even more diversity of the animals that are related to those yeah even like insects and beetles like all different species of beetles that would be around these sites and feeding off it and in that soil absolutely so basically the entire ecological system was essentially restored like from an ecological perspective that was like far more 
far greater of a success than they probably could have anticipated. Yeah. They basically did the cha-cha slide in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> All right? That's what happened. That's the perfect The wolves example. came in, and they played the music, yes. they did their thing, yep. and they reversed. And we got to add the cha-cha slide in yeah, there. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I feel like I definitely read you know? that in a scientific article in one For of the For sure, yeah. right? Yeah, so... <laughs> the ecological system was restored, and basically the wolves did the cha-cha slide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of crazy to think that they were able to undo so much of the damage that was done, um, and that it didn't actually take that long. Like, within a couple of months, they started to see some of these massive changes. It, it really didn't... It, it, you know, as long as it took for it to fall apart, it was very quick to put back together. And I mean, it's not 100% perfect. You yeah. know, there's still recovery and changes happening. But what a learning event for all of us as humans to see what our impact on nature is and what each individual animal or plant's impact on nature is. Like, this is why Yellowstone comes up so often when we talk about the environment, when we talk about ecology. Um, it, it just is such a clear, stark, bold example of the fact that we don't know everything and we're probably never going to, but nature seems to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I I really like a lot of the, like, videos and uh, interviews I saw. Doug Smith, who's, like, uh, one of the lead guys in the whole Algonquin reintroduction of... Or not Algonquin, the Yellowstone reintroduction of wolves. <laughs> um his kind of philosophy was like if humans did it like if humans caused it then humans should like restore it and get yeah. it back but if that's not the case then we don't need to interfere yeah which is kind of the i feel like i would take on that mindset also like yeah. there's there's no reason for us we keep interfering with nature and then we mess something up and then we try and reverse it back mm -hmm. but if we haven't caused, caused it. it yet, then just leave it be. Nature, if we did, totally sure. Let's yeah. try and figure out the the least invasive way that we can return that system back to the original. Nature but. has its own like plan, and and when we see you know maybe a certain animal species going extinct or or something like this, at that time that it happens, it may not be very clear what the reasoning or how that's going to affect things. But then years down the line, you might go, you know what? Holy crap! If that animal didn't disappear if that plant didn't mutate or whatever in this particular way it could have been really bad and it, it just nature knows what it needs and it's such a complex thing really and we're just <laughs> one little dust speck within we're one it. part of it yeah 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 it's uh, really if you if you ever have some free time and and you found this kind of interesting today, just go on YouTube. Like, there's so many great <laughs> videos that talk about Yellowstone. Dive into it because it's such a fascinating thing, and, and maybe it will further inspire you to get involved with these kinds of projects. Yeah, and that's this is all why... I mean, this all coincides with what we're trying to do here in terms of yeah. educating people on the significance and importance of wolves and why they're important to to preserve and to have conservation efforts moving forward into the future. Um, now, like at the time we didn't know what our impact was gonna be. Now we do. 
pretty yeah. much. Like, yeah. after seeing Yellowstone, we know that, okay, if you don't have wolves on the landscape, this is what can happen. And if you yeah. have them, this is what's going to happen. Exactly. So moving forward, I mean, no one can anticipate what's going to happen in the future with wildlife or with uh, just land use changes in I general. Mean, but Think of, like, the Australia wildfires. Like, who would have expected that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you never know. But having seen what happened with Yellowstone, that should give us a bit of an idea or encourage us to think a little deeper before we make these these decisions and to really research and study before we make these things that could potentially have such a significant impact. And what's kind of scary is that even with things like Yellowstone, we're still seeing cull orders go out for wolves or localized extirpations of yeah. wolves. Um, and unfortunately to say, even right here in Canada, in Alberta, this is still happening in 2020. Despite this research, there's still these orders going out to kill wolves in order to rebound ungulate populations. And we know for a fact that it doesn't work. And yet it's still happening. Um, so this is why it's so important to educate people, because if you don't, it just continues. We just repeat yeah. old things not, and don't consider... <laughs> what's already happened and how we can improve yeah on that too like i just the paper that i sent you a few months ago yeah like that was really interesting too because basically wolves like <laughs> it's crazy to think that wolves are still kind of being used as like the easy escape goat on a lot of cases so like there was the big, I think it's called the Big Game Management Advisory Committee, yeah. which is now put together for Ontario. Mm -hmm. And um, they had like a whole public comment period for moose hunters and what moose hunters were seeing in Ontario, Northern Ontario specifically. Um, and if they had any like inputs on things they wanted to change in terms of all of the, the limits and hunting regulations. And a lot of the moose hunters were saying, yeah, we're seeing a lot of wolves. Like, around when we're out hunting mm -hmm. and in response to that they was they kind of just like uh they didn't like open the gates on it but they definitely changed the regulations to suit the moose hunters and not the wolves so they yeah they what was it do you remember i don't I mean, know if you actually they just kind of before it used to be like a very limited number of tags very set restrictions and that sort of thing and they've kind of loosened it up and especially because now in Ontario it's so hard to tell the differences between wolves and coyotes and koi wolves and we'll talk about that another day <laughs> um it's really hard to know what you're what you're shooting at or trapping until it's done um so the loosening of these kind of regulations made made it easier to just go ahead without knowing yeah what what it is you're going after and you know, again, it's one of those where it's like, okay, well, hold on a second. Just because there's a lot of wolves, is that automatically a bad thing? Is there more research we should do into why is there more wolves? What impact does having more wolves have? Is it just affecting the moose? Yeah. Or is right? there less moose because of something, something else. completely different? Like brainworm, for example. Or like chronic wasting disease. Yep. Right? There's, there's any number of other possibilities. So to just kind of go, oh, lots of wolves, that must be bad. Let's, Let's go ahead and change walls. our regulations. And again, it's that very shallow or um, very Easy. simplified model of how to do Easy. it when there's it's such a complex thing. Yeah. Which is also crazy because um, wolves, they're, they're, 
I don't know, speculating or believing that because wolves kill like the weak or the sick or the old or the young, um, if CWD is present on any landscaper in any population of ungulates, then wolves can actually be a big benefit in reducing the transmission of the spread and yeah. taking because they're taking out the so, sick ones at yeah. the back of the at the yeah. back of the herd essentially so that the, might that, have CWD that right. avoid it from getting spread to yeah the rest of them totally and that point's just totally missed yeah <laughs> and it seems like such an obvious thing but but it's know, harder to to figure out and manage something that complex than totally. it would be to say well wolves kill moose let's kill wolves yeah but we did that in the 1800s and we just figured out that we should not have done that yeah but it's still happening today so i mean little little teary face for uh humans as a as a civilization that here we are 200 years later <laughs> still repeating the same mistakes. still repeating the same mistakes you know we do have a lot of research and education behind and there are some really incredible folks out there and organizations out there that are making things better and are lobbying to have regulations improved and all this sort of thing it's not to say that humans are just terrible as a whole they're not <laughs> they're not they reintroduced but wolves that's it and we we, we do have a lot of work still to do there's a long way to go and and we can always do better yeah, yeah. all right i feel like i feel like we there. hit we hit it all i think we got I it like i mean we could probably go on for weeks on this, but um, thank you guys for joining us again today, talking a little bit about uh, the role that wolves play in the environment and the ecology around that. Um, if you want to find out more about what's going on or if you want to book a visit to the Wolf Center, check out the links posted with this podcast. Um, check out our Facebook page, our website, our Instagram, all this sort of stuff. Give us a call, send us an email, whatever <laughs> you want to do. Um, again, thank you for joining us. Marina signing out. And me. I, I <laughs> you really put me on the spot there. Yeah, Aiden signing out too. Are we going to do the howl like we did last time? Is that going to be a, no. a thing that we do? <laughs> no. That Come terrible. on, that was your idea. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. Okay, so we'll just throw in fake howls. We'll throw in a fake howl. Actually, I feel like I'm just going to like make a sound clip of your howl, and then we'll just play that at the end of <laughs> at one. At the end of every yeah. one. Sound Sounds good. good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Hey guys, thank you again so much for joining us on this week's podcast. Marina and I are both having so much fun with this project. Next week, we're going to be talking about wolves in video games, which is going to be very interesting. So hit subscribe if you haven't already. And finally, here is our very own pack to send you off into the rest of your day. Cheers. <laughs>